Okay, so today, uh, and thank you for your patience yesterday. Uh, I, uh, I had to drive a friend to the airport, and um, so I was gone most of the day, and then I had to meet with a family last night, and then uh, right about 7.30 last night or so, I did a, uh, I did a very short live, and so bear with me uh, with that. And please be patient. You know, if things come up, and I have to do them, like tomorrow morning, I'm going to be, uh, I'm not going to be available till a little later in the morning. So recognize that, but for sure, we'll, we'll make sure that something gets on, um, you know, cause I don't want this to be a religious activity. I really want it to be a place of refuge, a place of strength and a place of filling in you. And when I'm not on, I want you to really, really go after the Lord. You can worship in your house, and and I appreciate that you worship with me, and you can worship, um, you know, with other folks as well. So, having said all that, um, let's go to uh, um, Romans the eighth chapter, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Okay, uh, Paul just comes out of Romans five, six, and seven talking about the law, talking about how we are separated or justified from the law through the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? And um, and, and uh, something uh, I grew up with was, um, was this idea of shame, blame, and guilt. And, uh, and the thing is that Jesus set us free from the sin, but he also gave us freedom and the access to freedom from the um, from the shame and the blame and the guilt of it, he took it all away in the cross. And so you have to see this uh, in order to move forward, because a lot of us feel this shamefulness, um, you know. And 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 I don't want to underplay this feeling, this this idea of sin, because sin grieves the Lord. Don't get me wrong, um, but sin is not going to separate you. Uh, from his love. And, 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 and that's what we're going to talk about here and the reason why. And that's why we need to continually pursue him. Right now, my fear is that in this year of, of a devastation, this year of, um, of, in, uh, of insecurity and, and, uh, and, and not being sure in this year of that, uh, many people have not drawn closer to the Lord, but have actually, uh, in their heart, have moved away from Him. Frustrated because they're alone. Frustrated because they don't have friends and, and they haven't gone after friends. And, and you're like, come on, man. Go after Jesus. This is the time. Back in, I think it was, hi, Hilda. Back in the, uh, time of Ruth, it's good to see you. Um, you know, and I don't know who else is on, but, uh, back in, you know, back in this time, back in, I think it was 2004 or 2008, something like that. Um, a gentleman by the name of, uh, of, uh, Bob Jones, who's a, who was a prophet, prophesied that 2020 was going to be a year of rest. And here is the thing. We have this pandemic that has gone on and government has shut down and, and some governors have decided that they're going to be God and they're going to do things. And, and I'm, I'm making a political opinion here. This is not, um, you know, this is not to belittle any of the governors. They have a tough job. President has a tough job. Um, but 
when you when you're trying to make people conform to your image, it doesn't work on earth. Jesus is trying to conform us into his image and likeness. Well, Jesus conformed to the rulers of the day. No, he didn't. I, I think I heard about the fact that he whipped the money changers at the temple. Um, he he didn't f- get frustrated over taxes. He just went and told Peter to go catch a fish. Okay. Anyway, so we're coming into this thing here where God wants us to enter into his rest. In uh, 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 Hebrews chapter 4, he says, be diligent to enter into his rest. And his rest looks a whole lot different than just laying on the couch and goofing off. And, you know, rest is not rest when there's there's no, um, not adversary, but adverse situations. It's not rest. I remember they were doing a, a film. We'll get into the word in a second. Romans chapter 8 will be, and we'll start with verse 33. But I remember there was a contest to find out uh, what does peace look like? Draw a painting of peace. And they had hundreds of artists, and it came down to two paintings. You know, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but they, they got into two paint, down to two paintings. One of them was a beautiful meadow with a few trees. You can see, um, you know, if you can use your imagination, you can see a little zephyr, a little soft wind going through as the, as, you know, some of the flowers and some of the grass was, leaning one way and going back. You know, you can almost, and, and he made it so that you can see the movement. And, um, you know, and it was just beautiful. The, the colors, the sun, it was just wonderful. You know, you see uh, mountains in the background. Another one was um, in the cliffs by some ocean. The, the waves were crashing. The sky was dark. You see lightning. You see this eagle, mother eagle, um, or a father eagle, I, I don't know, I, I don't know how to tell the genders, and um, of, of eagles, but had her wings furled over the nest. And it was up in a cleft of the rock. And, um, and you know, you see the waves crashing, and you can just imagine the sounds and the shaking and the wind blowing and the storm and all this. And under the wings, you, you could see one of the baby eagles sticking out its head. Well, that's the painting that won because it's not peace without the storm. It's the peace in the midst of the storm that is true peace. Jesus slept in the boat as they were going across the, the, uh, the lake. Remember, he said, we're going to the other side. The enemy didn't want him to go to the other side because on the other side, he was going to set a man free. But Jesus is asleep in the boat in a fishing boat. And he has these fishermen trying to steer this boat and they're freaking out. And, and they wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus is like, where's your faith? Where'd you leave your faith? We just fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men. I believe that there was at least 15, maybe 30,000 people there. But he feeds them and he says, where's your faith? Did you leave it back at the shore? We're going to the other side. Come on now. So they go. And anyway, that's peace. That's peace in the midst of it. And you speak to your storm. What is it that you want in the midst of your adverse situation? Speak it out. Keep it aligned with God's word and speak it out. You know, there is no 
there is no um, rape in heaven. There is no uh, diseases in heaven. There is no um, lack in heaven. There's no nervous breakdowns in heaven. So you call those things that are not in your life as though they are. <clears throat> I need peace or I need to be free from shame. And There is no shame in heaven. There's no guilt in heaven. There's no blame in heaven. So speak it out here on earth and watch what God does. If you have to and if you, if you have a prayer language, use your prayer language. Don't speak in English. We don't know how to pray as we are, but the, but the Holy Spirit and Jesus are ever making intercession for us. They're praying because we don't know how to pray for ourselves. <clears throat> okay, so let's go to the Bible. I love the Bible. And I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, my favorite translation. But, um, you know, I like this one. I like the New American Standard, and I can, uh, and I can bear the New King James. That doesn't mean anything. If you love those guys, that's good. That's all good. So as long as you're in the Word, that's all that matters. So verse 33 of Romans chapter 8. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? How dare you? Remember, uh, what was that girl's name with the um, Greta Thornburg or whatever? How dare you? <laughs> well, this is what Paul's doing. How dare you? Only he has something real that he's dealing with. How dare you? Who would then dare to accuse those? whom God has chosen in love to be his. In love to be his. Who's going to bring this accusation that God has chosen? God lined up seven and a half billion people and he said, he said, I choose you. In love, I choose you. God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Not Guilty. I'll say it again. God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them. Who? Those that he's chosen in love to be his. Over them, not guilty. Verse 34. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us and even more than that, he has conquered death and now is risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Understand this. Not only does the Holy Spirit pray for us, but the Jesus Christ does it also. These are two-thirds of the Trinity are making intercession for us. And what they say goes. I love it. Remember, in, we, we talked a couple days ago about uh, the woman caught in adultery Romans, uh, in John chapter 8. And Jesus said to them, where are your accusers? That's the picture. That's the illustration, the true life illustration of what Paul is talking about here. I don't know if Paul was bringing that back up to memory at the moment, but he says this. Who then is left to condemn us? Where are your accusers? There's no one. Isn't there anyone left? Nobody, Lord. Well, then I'm not going to condemn you either. Why not? Because Jesus didn't come, John chapter 3, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
If you believe, you are not condemned. But if you don't believe, you are condemned already. He doesn't have to, you know, beat a dead horse. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already. Whoops, I just stepped on somebody's toe just then. But if you've given your life to Jesus, you are not condemned. There is no guilt anymore. Why not? Because the guilt was nailed to the cross. Your shame was nailed to the cross. There is no blame anymore. The only... The only blame there is anymore is this is this uh, 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 accuser of the brethren. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, I love it, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. Now, I love this because in Corinthians, he says, Oh, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? The final foe is death. And Jesus conquered him. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for us? You know, there's no sense. No sense in, you know, there's no, no sense in having condemnation. He's not going to condemn you because he's praying for you. Verse 35, I love this. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Nothing, hear me, nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. I remember Hudson Taylor said, get so close to Jesus that when pressures come, it actually pushes you closer to him instead of building a wedge to separate you from him. Get so close to Jesus that pressures can't come in between, but actually push you closer. I love it. Problems aren't unable. You got problems? They're not able to, 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 to come between you and his love. You got any troubles? Got any pressures in this world? And, and, and John, I think it's John 15. I think so. John 15 or 16. He says, he says, in this world, you're going to have pressure. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have persecutions. That word is pressure. You're going to have pressures. But he says, but take heart. Be of good courage. For I have overcome the world. Problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions? What about these uh, hunger or nakedness, deprivations? What about dangers and death threats? No, and I love this, how he words this in the Passion Translation. He says, no, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. And then let's just jump down to verse 38. So now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I am convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers in the heavenlies. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. Think about that. Think about that for a second. Jesus died... 2,000 years ago, 
And he died for our freedom. He died for our sin. He died for all those things that we did already. He paid for our sin before we were even born. All of our sin was in the future when Jesus died. The only people that felt that forgiveness at the beginning when he died were alive back then. Nobody else. I believe personally that Paul the Apostle was alive at the time. But Jesus paid for sin before you were born. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the sins that you were going to commit and he did it anyway. God knew our weaknesses and he died for us. Jesus died for us having full knowledge of what he was up against in our lives. You don't have to walk in shame. Did you do something wrong? Man, I've heard people, crazy stuff, stuff that would just flip you out if I told you of what people have done. You'd flip out if you heard all the things that I had done in my life before I was a believer and even after. I used to heap condemnation on people regularly as a pastor. Pastors don't do that stuff. Come on. But I did. I'm not proud of it. I didn't treat God's children the way they should have been treated. And I hope nobody fell away long enough. I pray that they, you know, that they all still love Jesus and still walk with him. I love Keith Green. God knew you were going to lie, but that's not who the believer is. God knew that there was going to be immorality, but that's not who you are, not anymore. I'm not saying everybody's done that. I'm just saying, in general, you know, God knew what was going to take place here on earth today. And he died anyway, and he loves you anyway, and nothing can separate you. From that love. That means that he loves you unconditionally. Does he like sin? Of course not. Come on. He doesn't like sin. It cost him the life of Jesus. It cost him, yes, sex change. Homosexuality. He doesn't hate the sinner. He hates the sins. He hates murderers. He hates fornicators. Sorry, he hates the murder. He hates the fornication. He hates the adultery. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. God does all of this stuff, and he, and he did it anyway. Even he loves the person that doesn't love him. Doesn't mean they're going to heaven. They have to surrender to the name of Jesus, and they have to come under the blood of the cross and ask forgiveness. There's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Hi, Susan. So I'm telling you this. We have to stop walking around with shame. Stop it. It's not who you are. If you made a mistake, my goodness. If you slipped in the mud, just wipe yourself off and keep going. I remember when my children were learning how to walk. 
I just, I remember this. They, they, they would try to stand up and they were all, I mean, you, you know, if you have children, you know, you know the look on their face when they're just about to fall. <laughs> My kids fell in slow motion. That was really weird. But I never blamed them. I never gave them shame because they didn't walk. I never did that. I encouraged them to keep going. And so your heavenly father is doing the same thing to you even now. Don't be discouraged. Don't live in despair. Hmm. God is amazing. And when we look at what he has done and what he is continually doing, we go, wow, God, you're amazing. I love you. Love him today. I've talked long enough, I think. Um, some exciting things are happening. I'll let you know when they're happening. Um, if you get a chance, you know, if you just get a chance, take a moment today and just thank him for setting you free from shame, setting you free from blame. You're blameless. Hear me. You are blameless. If you've received the gift of salvation through Jesus, Know what? Tell me what no is, Hilda. <laughs> you are blameless. Good things are, good things are coming. Speak it out. I encourage you to do this every day. I encourage you. Somebody did this for me, told me to do this. He said, take some time out of your day and say this out loud. Just say, I'm speaking into my, oh, I got you. <laughs> Keep talking. You'll be sorry you said that. Um, he, he said, speak this out. And I want you to speak this out. Say this, exactly these words. I'm, I'm speaking into my future. And then if you have a, a prayer language, start praying in your prayer language for 15 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, however much time you have. And just speak it out loud. And that will activate the, 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 the messengers from heaven, the angels of God, to do, to put into work the things that, that, uh, that are in your heart and things that are into your destiny. Yeah. And don't be afraid of the hardships that you are going through. That doesn't mean God can't use you. It means he's giving you a testimony. I come to you, man. There's something about a broken heart. There's something about a broken vessel that, that, that just endears, endears the soul of other people to, to, to the message. One of the things that, I mean, you know, I'm a divorced man. Um, I, 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 I didn't do marriage well. I, you know, I mean, I didn't physically abuse my wife and, didn't cheat on her, didn't mess up the kids or anything, physically abuse them. However, I'm divorced. Made some mistakes along the way. And even in, hi Linda, and even in the last few months, you know, you make mistakes along the way. But those mistakes didn't define who I am. Who I am is found in Jesus Christ. 
not in anything I've done, not in anything that that uh, that goes. Now I'm not proud of those things, and I've repented of those things. And and sometimes you have to work your way out of them. There are consequences to sin. Yep. But in the midst of it, it pushed me closer to him and it brought me back to him. I've made mistakes. If you were to know everything that's happened in my life, you probably wouldn't listen to me. And if I knew everything that's happened in your life, I wouldn't talk to you. (laughs) Okay, let's just laugh. That's kind of funny. Um, But know this. That God is doing some great things in your heart. And he's not condemning you. He's already giving you the verdict, not guilty. You know, you can never be, um, you know, you can, you can never be accused of doing the same thing twice. I think they call that double indemnity. You know, you can't be accused of the same crime twice, especially if they've, um, set you free or you've been found innocent. Well, there's so many things, you know, on my mind right now, but I don't want to take all your time. I have things to do. You have things to do. But know this, that Jesus Christ already paid for it all. And I, and I love how Paul says it there in, in, uh, the actual translation from the, from the Aramaic and the Greek that all these things that try to separate you from his love are impotent. are impotent to his omnipotent, unchanging love for you. Cool. Well, God bless you guys. You have a great day. Uh, Enjoy, and we'll see you, Lord willing, tomorrow. Oh, no, it'll be late tomorrow. Understand this. I'm going to be a little late tomorrow because of uh, I have a a session in the morning that I have to do, and I'm not sure I'll be done by 10. So anyway, God bless you guys. Have a great day.